So good morning, everyone. Good evening. Good afternoon. I know we have a global family with us today, reaching as far afield as India, Pakistan, New Zealand, Australia, America, Canada, and across Europe as well. So wherever you are, wherever you are joining us from, you are very welcome in traditional Irish fashion, Cade Nila Falcha, a hundred thousand welcomes to this, our third social marketing webinar. I'm delighted today that you've joined um, because we are moving back from down under, we're moving back from Australia and New Zealand and coming back here to the west coast of Ireland, the wild Atlantic way. And I'm joined today by two favorite colleagues of mine. So I have Dr. Dimitri Brykov and Dr. Sinead Duan. And I'm delighted because I work with these wonderful people and they are about to share with you some of the funded research that they have been working on over the last two to three years. Um, and most of which has not made it into the public domain yet. So for me, this is a wonderful opportunity because they are showcasing frontier social marketing work that is defined by what I would call circular causality. So their work moves away from individual six, 12 week um, conventional social marketing behavioral change and instead starts to look at the phenomenal complexity around many of the grand challenges that face communities and societies all around the world. So whether it's climate change, whether it's obesity, antimicrobial resistance, sustainable transport, any of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, this circular causality is becoming very important, not just to tackling and resolving issues, but also to how we function as societies, how change occurs, um, and how we can move towards a healthier future for all, a healthier future for individuals, a healthier future for families and communities, and also for the planet, for planet Earth that we all share as well. So that's my spiel for this morning, this evening. And without any further ado, I'm going to hand you over to our first speaker, Dr. Dmitry Brykov, and ask Dmitry to share his work about cycling. Dmitry, over to you. Yeah, thank you very much, Christine. And I would like to reciprocate your kind words. And I would like to welcome everyone. And uh, thank you for joining in. And uh, today I will speak about the use of participatory system mapping and uh, feedback loops for social marketing. And uh, I would like to start my talk with uh, the notion of the concept of complexity. Famous French sociologist uh, Edgar Morin uh, he singled out two types of complexity, restricted and general. Restricted complexity means emergence from interaction of objects at a simpler level. So it fits well with the physical world. But when we deal with complex social, we deal with general complexity. 
General complexity is about nested and interpenetrating complex social systems beyond individuals with causal powers running in all directions. However, nonlinearity is at the heart of both types of complexities. And what is nonlinearity? When we deal with nonlinearity, we mostly talk about the disproportionate uh, cause and effect. In a simple world, when two variables are related, independent and dependent variable, the relation between them could be direct. For example, when the birth rate increases, population increases too. So relation is direct. This is uh, an example of linear relationship. The, this type of relationship could be in the same direction and it could be in the opposite direction. For example, when the death rate rises, population drops. So the direction of the relationship is opposite. We could even mark this with, uh, with arrows, which shows the direction of the relationship and with a polarity sign, either plus if it's the same direction or minus if it's the opposite direction. But in actual world, the, the picture is much more complex. We have not only direct relationships, but also non-direct relationships. For example, if a birth rate increases, population increases too. But when population increases, birth rate increases too. So we have a feedback when the change is amplified, it's strengthened. We call this a reinforcing loop. But if the variable death rate, when the population rises, death rate rises too. And when the death rate arises, population drops. So we have a balancing loop. So you see, just by using, imagine that we add delays into the system and a few other variables. So we have a very complex dynamics out of just three, four, five variables. So this is actually the notion, the concept of nonlinearity and feedback loops. This is what make systems quite complex. Coming back to social marketing, so we could visualize the problem with the following two feedback loops. Social marketing recognizes that complex issues require complex solutions. This, uh, we need to address complexity, and this is the reason of societal shift in social marketing. But social systems are resistant to understanding due to the nature of general complexity. And this reduces the potential for understanding and acting in the social world. We uh, suppose that using participatory system mapping, we can increase this potential for understanding. You see, this is another beautiful feature of uh, feedback loops. You can tell the stories or narratives of them. So I'll treat my point to view with the help of a case study, which is a focal cycling system in the city of Galway. The city of Galway, it's a small place. It's a small city in the west coast of Ireland. So, and the issue of cycling is important uh, as it is because there are different benefits related to cycling. 
Cycling uh, reduces CO2 emissions and air pollution. It can reduce noise pollution. It uh, improves our health and it could uh, produce economic productivity. It could increase economic productivity. So it's a vital issue in itself. A little bit about context. Uh, cycling is very underdeveloped in Ireland. Just about 3% of uh, Irish population commute by cycling and 5.6% in Galway. This is according to 2016 census. This is very different from other countries. Uh, we have, of course, a huge increase in the level of automobility. While the cycling uh, infrastructure in Ireland is very uh, underdeveloped. This bright spot in the west, uh, northwestern part of Europe is Ireland. And this is despite the fact that Galway always had a very rich cycling culture. This is from 1971, and you could see a striking difference with modern times. So this is the actual context behind the, the, this study. To understanding this local system, what we called participatory system mapping or modeling. It starts with uh, understanding stakeholders or in a systemic way, systemic stakeholder analysis. This analysis is also important because it helps to form a modeling group. We use literature review, lexicon content analysis, snowball sampling. Then we start to identify system barriers and enablers. This is actually the data we rely on. And then we categorize them using literature review service. After the system barriers and enablers are identified and categorized, we connect them in, a feedback, in feedback loops and then we connect individual feedback loops into system map by telling their stories. And we also identify the deep structure of the system. Deep structure is where the key dynamics of the system is concentrated. We use participatory qualitative system mapping, uh, different software packages. Then we socialize the map and find the leverage point, places of interaction. This is just one of the examples of participatory, participatory um, uh, approaches to system modeling. There are, of course, different approaches as well in the same vein. We got from the systemic stakeholder analysis about our system. We're talking about the cycling system in Galway. Cycling is a very uh, system is very much centralized. Uh, the legislation, policy making, decision making, and funding comes from the national level. Local level is weak and underrepresented. You see that we categorized each stakeholder according to the Roger Layton's scheme. Incumbents, these are stakeholders who prefer to keep the status quo, challenges who challenge the status quo, and regulators who regulate the system. And we added another stakeholder group, citizens. So the national government controls the system and it also operates through different quasi-autonomous uh, NGOs like 
National uh, Transport Authority, National Road Authority, and Board Plan, all of which provide strategic infrastructure development. It also acts for clientelism by using different lobby groups, and civil, civil engineers, and experts. Cyclists are at the very bottom of the pyramid and are sort of limited in their interaction, mostly dealing with cycling NGOs. So this is a map uh, after the modeling process. It uh, consists of uh, 20 plus feedback loops with narratives and more than uh, 70 system elements. A red color, they show the structure of the system. Green color are enablers. They are very underdeveloped, as you see from this map. Uh, I will concentrate only on the key dynamics and the deep structure of the system because it's too big. Well, there are four key dynamics that were uncovered in the Galway cycling system. So it's policy and decision-making failures at the local and national levels, car-centered design and thinking, which strengthened car-dependent paradigm among nearly all stakeholders, multiple conflicts of interests, and existing system enablers have insufficient and irregular level of activity for the overall system improvement. I will tell in more detail about key dynamics of the deep structure of the system. We usually start the narration of this deep structure with number one, and it starts with Object-focused reasoning in decision-making. This type of decision-making relies mostly on output measuring success, contrast to outcomes. And this leads to focus or over-focus on projects instead of incremental work in cycling improvement. This immediately leads to counterproductive outcomes in urban management decision and it requires a mechanism of decision-making, which excludes different stakeholders from decision-making and from consultation. This requires a focus on specific areas of expertise and civil engineers often participate in this. And it leads to the lack of holistic thinking, which finalizes the loop and with project this loop is strengthened by the weakness at the local elected level and the cycling funding agencies, of, especially at the national level. They view their role in the system as exogenous and they passively, passively involved in the of the system merely with providing funding. And this immediately leads to marginalization of cycling and its stakeholders. These uh, decision-making loops are reinforced by multiple conflicts of interests. Uh, there are this kind of decision-making promotes consensus, which is based, which relies on income from parking different mobility uh, practices. It demands so it uh, demands depicting cycling in a sympathetic way, and mass media participates in this, and using questionable statistics. Uh, another loop, which is a reinforcement of car dominant paradigm, also strengthens these 
to centers of gravity in the system by creating uh, different infrastructures and images, beliefs involving different stakeholders in reinforcing this art-centered paradigm. This is a key dynamics of the system that was uncovered during modeling. What actually are the benefits of such a prose? Uh, I consider several of them. Uh, of course, uh, systemic stakeholder analysis is important for segmentation, for uh, working in partnership with uh, stakeholders. Uh, we also uncover system dynamics, which helps us to understand the interconnection between different behaviors and social determinants and explains the value exchanges. It also has a pedagogical value because we teach system stakeholders in system thinking and they, behave, they become systems think themselves. Are there such approaches used in Ireland in reality? Yes, and this is an example from the, uh, another Western city in Ireland, it's uh, Westport, where the uh, famous uh, town architect Simon Wall with his group, uh, he creates, uh, you can see different uh, stakeholders like electric groups, hotel groups, commercial bodies, Westport House, local media, create what he called vertical single task driven teams. These teams, they model the system and they uh, improve it uh, and they have the uh, facilities, they have the resources to do this and they do it in a very systemic way. And the results of their activities are quite clear. You could see examples from Westport, you could see the cycling infrastructure, how well developed it is. This is it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dimitri. Thank you. Thank you for a wonderful insight into complexity, restricted and uh, general complexity. Um, you explained it so well. And also thank you for a fascinating example of what's happening as well in different parts of Ireland. We are now going to hand over to our second speaker. So Dr. Sinead Duan is going to take us through the work that she is presently involved in relating to water quality, recreational water and more. Sinead, over to you. Good morning, everybody. It's my privilege to be here with you today to help celebrate social marketing. My name is Dr. Sinead Duane, and I'm a postdoctoral researcher on the PEER project based here in NUI Galway in the Whitaker Institute and the Ryan Institute as well. My area of expertise lies in the area of partnership development, stakeholder engagement, and complex intervention design. And I've worked in the area of social marketing for about the last 10 years. So today I'm going to share with you some of my reflections um, related to the interventions that I've designed in the past and showcase how we're using system social marketing here in NUI Galway to address complex issues of the future. 
So the project that I'm currently working on is the PEER project, the public health impact of exposure to antimicrobial resistance in recreational waters. And it gives you an idea of why I've chosen the, the background slide. And I think it's a lovely representation of the, the turbulent um, arena of recreational water quality and how social marketers can use their strategies in order to address this in the future. So today we're focusing on One Health challenges using system social marketing to co-design solutions and the One Health challenge that we're specifically looking at within the peer project is antimicrobial resistance. When Christine invited me today to discuss with you um, my, I suppose, reflections on social marketing as it turned 50, um, I started thinking about the campaigns that I worked with in the past and I kept going back to, I suppose, two key learnings um, that I believe lead to their, led to their success. The first was um, impactful problem definition. And when I'm talking about problem definition, I am talking about looking at a problem in the context in which it exists and looking at, um, I suppose, the direct and indirect stakeholders that are involved in the problem. Because sometimes when we look at a problem from a multi from a, um, from a one-dimensional perspective, it's very difficult to see the different interactions that other stakeholders might have on the framing of the problem. The second, I suppose, learning that um, I think is very relevant to this is understanding or customer insight and the role of formative research in helping to understand the mindset of the people that you're trying to, the people, the sectors, the stakeholders that you're trying to change their behaviours. Um, with this in mind, um, it kept bringing me back to optical illusions that we quite enjoyed when we were children. Um, so I said that I'd, I'd uh, add one to my presentation today and give you a few seconds just to think about what you can see yourselves. So I am very much on Team Duck, um, but many people in my family are very much on Team Rabbit. But I think it just um, illustrates very nicely how you can see different things from different perspectives even seemingly straightforward um, illustrations can mean different things to different people. So it's important to remove those blinkers when you're trying to um, begin to address uh, a, a problem within society, the context in which it exists and the type of stakeholders that may have a direct or indirect impact on it. So for those of you that aren't familiar with the One Health approach, it marries very nicely with social marketing because it also takes this um, systems or holistic um, viewpoint of the world. So One Health is a collaborative, multi-sectoral and transdisciplinary approach. Um, and like social marketing, it works at multiple levels. So it can work at the local level, um, the community level, the national level, and even at a global level. But the overall aim uh, um, of achieving optimal health outcomes recognizes that these can be achieved by looking at the interconnectivity between people, animals, plants, and their shared environment. So again, it's about adopting this holistic approach and looking at the relationships between our health and the health and well-being of our environment as well and what happens if we protect one um, and once we protect one element we should also be working towards protecting another. So antimicrobial resistance is a one health challenge and for those of you that are unsure of what antimicrobial resistance are it means when um, antibiotics are used they change and adapt and can no longer be effective when fighting bacteria. So back when social marketing was in its infancy, back in the 1950s, 
um, antibiotics were heralded as a miracle drug that allowed people to survive illnesses that would previously led to death. But over the last 50 years, have we overused and misused um, antibiotics? I suppose we, we, we didn't understand the impact um, that this collective action would have. Um, we are entering an era where antibiotics may no longer exist. So there's a lot of discussion around the silent pandemic or silent um, tsunami that is hurtling towards us. Um, where we are one of the first generations to look into the future and we may not have um, antibiotics to support our medical care. This is a really serious problem. Um, it's a global health issue um, because it, it means that illnesses that were um, relatively simple in the past will become more difficult to treat. So say, for example, um, you were going for a minor operation if you were going through chemotherapy or going through childbirth, these, um, these I suppose, medical um, conditions or medical procedures would be um, more dangerous um, to engage in. It also has an economic impact as the, um, it means that illnesses take longer to treat and um, the cost of illnesses increase because of this and people are out of, um, out of the workforce for longer due to illness. So it's something that needs um, immediate action and um, projects like PEER are going some way to help address the knowledge deficit in terms of antimicrobial resistance. So just to give you an idea um, of the antimicrobial resistance um, system, as you know from social marketing, when we're talking about complex and wicked, um, wicked issues, um, there's no one person to blame. Um, they're very difficult to, um, to define and in many instances, um, there's it's there's conflict about the best approaches to address these complex issues. So as you can see from this diagram, um, the the hospital sector is contributing through the the waste that's coming from their patients. It's going into the sewage and the water system. But as patients are being discharged, antibiotics are being used in the community, both um, from hospital prescriptions and public health, uh, sorry, community level um, prescribing in relation to antibiotics. And antimicrobial resistant bugs can actually be shared um, by peer-to-peer -peer contact, um, contact. Coupled with this is if you look at our agricultural and food production, food production sectors, they also use um, antibiotics. And they actually use the same antibiotics that we use as humans. So as both humans and agricultural and food production misuse and overuse antibiotics, we're all contributing to um, the, the acceleration and the spread of antimicrobial resistant bacteria. And as you can see, in most instances, um, the, the antimicrobial resistant bugs are seeping back into the environment through our waste. And this leads us very nicely to the PEER project. Well, as I said, the PEER stands for the Public Health Impact of Exposure to Antimicrobial Resistance in Recreational Waters. And the core team consists of myself um, as a postdoctoral researcher on the project, May Farrell, our PhD student, and Professor Darvill Morris and Dr. Liam Burke as our co-PI. But we also have um, a very engaged project team that helps guide the development of the, of the PEER project. So there are two parts to peer. The first part um, is a point prevalence study. So we are looking at whether people who use the water more often than those people that don't 
are at greater risk of carrying these antimicrobial resistant bugs um, within their guts through the transmission of recreational waters. And um, so we are comparing water users to non-water users, and we're still recruiting for non-water users. So if anybody is interested in hearing more about um, part A of the peer study, please visit www.nuigalway.ie forward slash peer. But the second part of peer is looking um, is using systems dynamic modeling to map the interrelated barriers and facilitators which influence stakeholders decisions to engage with natural recreational waters in the Republic of Ireland. So we are using um, systems dynamic modeling to hopefully understand the different interconnectivities that are taking place within the recreational water system. There are five phases to this process um, and this research is still ongoing, so I can only present to you some findings from the project so far. Um, we've completed a systematic review and stakeholder analysis and that's going to help us understand the recreational water systems and the stakeholders within it. And when I was trying to define the boundaries of the system of the recreational water system, this was really um, interesting because every citizen on the Republic of Ireland has the potential to be a stakeholder in this area. Um, because we all have a right to have an access to high quality recreational waters. Um, so part of the stakeholder analysis process was trying to classify the different types of stakeholders and seeing if there were patterns um, between the, their perspectives on the recreational water issue. This was followed by 15 in-depth interviews, which we're going to discuss now, and will lead to an online survey and a, a stakeholder mapping workshop that will hopefully will take place later in the year. But first of all, I'll give you an idea of what the problem was. So water environments are essential to promoting health. There's an inextricable link between um, our health and the health of the environments around us. Recreational water environments also help to boost our economy through leisure and tourism. So there is no debate around the, the need for um, high quality water environments um, within the Irish context. And through COVID, what we found is that there's been more and more people have been lured to using our recreational water environments. So anecdotal evidence is suggesting that more people have turned to the water in the past year um, to try and cope with the COVID-19 pandemic. But not only this, um, people are, are swimming outside the traditional um, bathing water season. So traditionally the bathing water season would have opened around May and closed in October. And now people are swimming all year round. But this has also opened the doors to a wider discussion on the quality of what recreational water on our, on, um, in the Republic of Ireland and has given us an opportunity to have the conversation with stakeholders that we might not have been able to engage with in the past because they wouldn't have seen um, the relevance of this issue um, with their lifestyles. So in 2019, the EPA published um, um, their, their bathing water report. Um, the 2020 figures should be out in the coming weeks. But as you can see from the map here, um, that it's very encouraging to see that the majority of um, designated bathing areas within the Republic of Ireland are deemed to be in excellent condition. However, there are some ba bathing areas that are in poor, good or sufficient condition. And this, again, leads to the complexity of addressing the issue of recreational water quality in Ireland. 
For some people, we are looking at maintaining the recreational water quality at an excellent level. And for others, we are hoping to improve the recreational water. So depending on um, where you live and your location in relation to the, the areas of poor water quality, your perspective of the recreational water quality system in Ireland may change. And this is really important um, when trying to develop um, interventions or strategies to improve the, the recreational water quality in the future. Um, because the, the messaging and the intervention that we may develop will, may mean different things to different people. Now, there are regulations and policies that have helped improve recreational water in the past. However, we need to um, make sure that these are underlined um, by um, active ingredients that could be implemented on the ground. So this research was actually funded by the EPA. Um, which I, which I have mentioned previously. And as part of this project, we conducted 30 stakeholders, or sorry, we conducted 15 in-depth interviews um, between October 2020 and January 2021. Um, we invited over 30 stakeholders to participate and we used purposeful sampling in order to select these people. Um, stakeholder, or sorry, the analysis is still under, underway. However, we're going to present some preliminary findings to you today. And as you can see on the right hand side, we'll give you an indication of some of the classification schemes that we use within our stakeholder analysis. So we classified our stakeholders at a micro, meso and macro level, but we also um, classified them in relation to their power and their influence. And as you can see, the majority of stakeholders were recruited by the top right hand quadrant because of these are the people that you need to keep satisfied in the area of, of recreational water quality. However, it was still important for us to um, invite um, stakeholders from other areas in the systems to participate in this research so that um, they could um, have their say and to make sure that that our messaging wasn't going to compete against, um, against their principles and their motivations as well. So the preliminary findings were, were, it was very refreshing to see that every citizen believes that they're responsible um, for addressing recreational water. However, some stakeholders are more responsible than others. So some people, it's their remit or their role within their, within their occupation to address recreational water quality. There was an acknowledgement from the majority of stakeholders that um, there were interrelationships between um, the recreational water system and other water systems, such as domestic water systems, tourism, and agriculture. Um, and this was really interesting because, again, it adds to the complexity of addressing recreational water issues um, in Ireland. And finally, from a communication or engagement point of view, um, the, the methods and the, the mechanisms for communications um, actually um, change depending on your level in the system. So as you can imagine, um, from a macro perspective, um, the levels of engagement and communication are very formal in, in nature, whereas if you go towards the, the, the lower um, levels within the system, so your micro and your meso level, they're more open to engaging with different types of stakeholders um, at different levels. And the way that they communicate with each other is actually quite different because of the informal nature. Again, the type of engagement depends on the aim of the activity that, that you're discussing at the time. So in terms of the barriers and facilitators, again, resources and time um, are major barriers. However, people's patience for using these these barriers as an excuse um, are running out. 
Um, there, the, there is an acknowledgement that the issue is complex, particularly because of the other systems that um, are having an impact, such as the stormwater overfalls, flows, the urban wastewater management and the agriculture land management. So it's very difficult for us to go out and develop um, an intervention aimed at beachgoers if we don't look at other areas within the system, such as um, urban planning. From a facilitator's point of view, again, um, very positive to see that people are interested and change has begun. Um, there is a, the, the makings of a framework for integrated land um, and landscape management. And we have seen glimpses of people in, um, integrating key messages around recreational water quality with other issues such as water safety. Um, people were aware of some of the communication channels that were already exist, such as beaches.ie, but I think that, that more needs to be done in order to make sure that the, the link is made explicit. So we're currently working on developing profiles of the different types of stakeholders <coughs> in this issue and looking at how we can best engage with them in the future. But the next steps is also to roll out a national stakeholder survey um, to, to within Ireland. So if you live in Ireland and you're over 18, you're welcome to contribute to the survey. It's going live at the end of May. And if you would like um, to be put on the mailing list for this um, survey, please email, email me on the email address below or at peer at nuygalway.ie. And for all peer-related updates, please visit peer um, uh, nuygalway.ie forward slash peer or follow us on the socials. So finally, again, I wanted to reiterate um, how we're using formative research to really understand um, and define the problem of recreational water quality within Ireland. I think that this is going to have a huge impact um, going forward in, in terms of developing strategies to um, address recreational water quality, um, both improving it and maintaining um, recreational water quality um, across the, the entire and uh, the entirety of Ireland. And if you have any questions, I'd be glad, very glad to um, take them. Thank you very much. Sinead, thank you. Wow, I discovered I'm a duck this morning, so I'm on your team. I actually had to look to see the rabbit, which is very interesting. Normally those pictures intrigue me and I can get both right off, but clearly I'm a duck this morning. <laughs> so we must have more rain on the way as well. Being Ireland, what would you expect? Thank you also for your fascinating reflections on social marketing as social marketing turns 50. Um, and particularly fascinated with the example too of the peer project and how it resonates with some of the issues that Dimitri was also grappling with in terms of the systemic stakeholders. In, and interestingly, the interface between you know, recreational water and other systems, which Dimitri was reminding us of as well, that systems are nested and embedded with other systems. Um, and fascinating to hear too about the pandemic and how you know in 12 months there has been an acceleration um, of different aspects of the system as well a nice reminder that there's always change happening and um, whether we can see that change or not so thank you very much i know it raised a lot of questions for me 
but I am going to hand over to our audience now and ask our audience if you have any questions for Dimitri or Sinead, um, any issues that they brought up which you'd like to unpack or hear a little more about, or perhaps you weren't sure, or perhaps you even disagree. I'd ask you to use the question and answer, please. Um, and you are also very welcome if you want to raise your hand as well. So if you would like to ask the question yourself, that's also a possibility. So I know for many of you, it's in the middle of the night, it's extremely early morning or very late evening. Um, but hopefully, if you've joined us and you have a question, please, please shoot, as they say, fire ahead with the questions. So our first question coming in, and actually it's quite a general question, asking um, both of you to talk a little bit more about complexity and the complexity, then how complexity, let me see, how complexity is changing for social marketing or social marketing is changing around complexity. So might, um, Dimitri, we might invite you for, uh, to have a look at that first and then over to Sinead based on your experiences. Yeah, thank, thank you, Christine. <clears throat> yeah, I think it's a very interesting question and the topic is very interesting. Of course, there is uh, enormous literature on this and it started with sociology. I mentioned Edgar Morang and uh, then it was sort of a, uh, caught uh, and by people like uh, in fields uh, theory, by people like Byrne in the Callahan and different system scientists like Michael Jackson, who dedicated a special book for uh, complexity and several chapters. Um, there are, of course, different typologies of complexity. We talk about uh, um, detailed complexity or dynamic complexity. And um, it's uh, and one of the possible ways of, uh, as I mentioned, of studying it is using um, uh, system dynamics and group model building, uh, different forms of uh, collective intelligence. And uh, there is uh, quite interesting publications uh, appear in the social marketing domain. Like I would like to mention a great publication by Sharin in. Uh, using Markov model because uh, social marketing and very much uh, intervention, social marketing interventions very much resemble the, how Markov model work. So I think it's a great publication for anyone interested in complexity. Another field uh, which I find especially interesting is uh, the uh, publications on uh, systemic stakeholder analysis. Uh, Coleman boat and uh, the use of Roger Layton's uh, MAS theory. So this all helps to unveil uh, the complex complexity for in social marketing, uh, which is very I think diverse and uh, big branch. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. And Sinead? 
I think that's a great opportunity as social marketers to address complexity within our society and the problems that we're facing. We have a tradition of segmenting our target audiences and focusing on customer insight, which gives us the leverage to be able to understand our problems um, in a higher degree. As social marketers have transitioned from our transactional perspective, which is our traditional interventions, as Christine mentioned at the start of the presentation, to more transformational change strategies. We've opened the door to engage with a wider variety of stakeholders. We now acknowledge that multiple stakeholders have an impact on problem definitions. And I think that our strategies have, as social marketers and how they've evolved over the last number of years, have really um, been drawn to this perspective. And I think there's a lovely opportunity for us as social marketers to, to grow in terms of our understandings of how systems thinking and systems philosophies can have an impact on these wider society issues, particularly on the sustainable development goals um, as we try and achieve them over the next number of years. Okay, and it, it raises... Um... You, you raised some interesting points there, which actually some of the other questions that are coming in are picking up on. But before we get to those, one that's come in here, um, are personalities or celebrities best in helping to promote a message in social marketing or are experts best to use? I'm thinking mostly in terms of dealing with resistance to change and trust. So mm. I guess this question is more to the intervention and resolution and strategy for behavioral change. Um, but we might start Sinead with you on this one and then go to Dimitri. So what are your thoughts about personality celebrities or and experts specifically say in terms of dealing with resistance to behavioral change and trust? I think this is a difficult one because a lot of the personalities and celebrities, I suppose they have their own um, intentions and their own goals, which is we're used to dealing with that um, within social marketing. So in social marketing, we can deal with many different stakeholders from different variety of um, places. But as long as we have a singular goal or we can converge towards a, a goal, um, that is a, a positive thing. However, as you've seen with the global pandemic and some of the issues that we had with celebrities trying to um, trying to I suppose present their own agendas and trying to present their own perspectives on the issues, it leads to difficulties because if you're using them as ambassadors for a change um, for a, a, a change endeavor. You need to make sure that their that their lifestyle or that their actions also reflect the key messaging. So as you can see within COVID-19, for example, a lot of celebrities would have got criticism for saying we're in this together and we need to work together to address this. But then they were snapped doing something one time that didn't agree with their messaging. So it is very difficult. I think that there is a place for it. There certainly is. And I think um if you can find a celebrity or an influencer that fits very nicely with your message and lives really by the lifestyle of the message that you're trying to um, that you're trying to to persuade people to do, um, there is opportunities there. But you just need to be really careful about who you're choosing and the, and the goal that they're that you, that they're supposedly reflecting. Okay, well, Hope that answers point. the question. Yeah, well-made points there, Sinead, thank you. And Dimitri, I mean, you brought up resistance, you know, as part of your map. 
Um, and I know, it, you know, it's not just cycling that you've been applying this um, thinking to, but based on your experience, what are you finding when it comes to solutions, messaging, resistance to change? Is it experts, celebrities? What, what yeah. would you advise? Yeah, I, of course, totally agree with uh, Sinead that it's uh, sort of a, the role of celebrities and experts could be ambivalent. They could act uh, both ways, either improving the system or uh, sort of a destabilizing it. And we, uh, when we modeled the Galway cycling system, we dedicated a special time for finding uh, different sayings of different celebrities on how they treat cycling in Ireland. There were some horrible examples like the uh, saying by head of Ryanair, uh, Michael Leary, I think, uh, who said that I hate cycling with all my heart. Also because they prevent him from reaching his headquarters uh, early in the morning. So there are lots of these cases when the different sayings of mass media and different celebrities were actually ruinful for the system. And one of the uh, key interviews when we socialized the map even said that he views the role of mass media as quintessential in decreasing cycling rates in Ireland. So this is, uh, and only now mass media starts to sort of uh, uh, um, back and support cycling. So there is of course big changes right now and it's uh, regionally. So there are lots of uh, personalities, famous people who support cycling, and uh, it's sort of a mixed picture, very mixed, patchy. You just yes, have to be it, careful with who you're yes. selecting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, I, I suppose what I'm taking from both of your answers, you know, we're dealing with complex problems because we, yeah. we live in a complex world. Our lives are complex. Um, and that's reflected by the fact that different stakeholders, including individuals, have different values. Yeah. Um, so if you follow the social marketing prime directive, it means then that you have to look at different channels of communication, but also different messages because you're dealing with different groups and networks of people who have different values. And that, of course, means it brings you into the territory of conflict and tension that a message to one group might actually create tension and conflict, which starts to explain why, you know, behavioral change doesn't happen overnight and why wishing for it um, is a good start. But there's a lot more to the strategy. So some so what I take away from that, then, is that you, you really are looking at a portfolio of communication mechanisms and platforms um, to really drill down deep into the different networks based on what people value and don't value. Mm -hmm. So thank you. The next question, actually, this is a question for you, Dimitri. And this question is about systems dynamics. And it's saying, does social marketing use system dynamics in the system dynamics sense? Um, so I guess that question is asking about the field of systems dynamics. And to me, that, that's, you know, you think of all of the different type of epidemiological modeling that's going on at the moment that's drawing on systems dynamics. Or are we, are we using a modified version of it or a particular subfield of it? Could, yeah. Would you have insights there to share with us? 
Yeah, uh, I think there are issues with this. And of course, there are uh, some researchers who I think uh, very rigorously follow the, uh, the tenets of system dynamics like uh, Peter Hoffman, uh, people from Biroskak and Bryant and uh, some other researchers, especially in America. And I really would like to express my deep gratitude for these publications because they show how um, system dynamics could be used for social marketing. Actually, system dynamics was um, meant as a simulation, uh, quantitative mostly approach which relied on uh, understanding the variables, on uh, using the equations between these variables, and then simulating the uh, behavior of systems using computers. So I think it's a very viable approach. Uh, the, the problem with social marketing, I think, is that many variables are, like for example, for cycling systems, are of qualitative and hard to measure character. And this creates uh, I think the biggest problem in gathering data and using uh, equations and um, model, real models for this. But we, of course, we have to remember the saying of Box that all models are wrong, but some are useful. <laughs> so this, but the problem exists in using the um, rigorous approach uh, of system dynamics in social marketing. So there is there's an emerging, I mean, I know in systems dynamics, there's what they call soft systems dynamics, yeah. which is yeah. the qualitative, qualitative, and that lends itself quite well to social marketing. So does the quantitative, it's yeah. not to say that it doesn't. Yeah. Um, I guess social marketers keep their eye on the you know, behavioral change strategy and why they're using the systems dynamics. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And Sinead, we have one question in actually for you that goes to uh, the, the designing of a behavioral change strategy and it's about co-designing. So could you talk a little bit from your experience about the processes of co-designing a strategy once you've done the formative research? Yeah, so I'll use a different um, example, I suppose, from the peer because we're, we're in the process of completing peer, but the, the, the project that I worked previously, the simple project, um, that emerged out of a GP's observation about um, the prescribing of antibiotics. So what they, what they noticed was that um, more and more patients were coming back um, with um, more than one time after they were prescribed an antibiotic um, because the antibiotic just wasn't working anymore. So that's how the, the, the project was conceived. So first of all, when we looked at um, defining the problem, we said, okay, the problem is overuse of antibiotics, okay? So we said, right, we're gonna have to do some um, formative research. And traditionally you would have conducted the formative research with just GPs, but for, from the sense that we were getting from talking to our colleagues was that, okay, we need to do a little bit of work with patients and GPs to drill down a little bit more about one of the issue, what the issues were. So what we actually found was that there was a problem with GPs over-prescribing antibiotics. There was a problem with patients not taking antibiotics correctly. So either taking, not completing the course, storing antibiotics for other occasions and giving them to their friends and family. So there's loads of different issues that were going on that was leading to contributing to the problem of um, 
of um, overusing antibiotics. But we also knew that when we were trying to engage with general practitioners to get them to change their behaviours, that that was actually a complex um, process in itself. Um, so we had our qualitative customer insight that we generated from our in-depth interviews and, and our focus groups that we did with both GPs and patients. But we also had to look at the value propositions that we find from the, from the interviews or from the qualitative research. So we knew that GPs didn't have a lot of time. We knew that they needed to do personal or professional development. And we knew that we want that it needed to be easy. So whatever we developed had to fit in with their 10 minute consultation because anything beyond that, they wouldn't have engaged in the process. So we worked really, really hard with GPs um, to develop an intervention that could fit within the 10 minutes that would that could be integrated with the computer software system. So very easily we could um, we developed a software pop-up um, that would remind GPs of more positive prescribing behaviors. And we gave them an audit and feedback report, which gave them a progress report, helped pitch them against other general or general practices that were that were um, part of the intervention. But more importantly, it gave them something of value. So it helped um, fulfill their professional development um, criteria that they needed to do at the end of the year. So you have to make it easy. You need to make it integrated with other behaviors and you need to make sure that it's embedded within the system in which you're trying to change. So again, a very complex issue, a very successful intervention because we listened and we co-created the intervention with the people that we were trying to change the behavior. Okay. I hope that I answers mean, your I, question I very know, quickly. I, yeah, no, thank you very much. I do know that that was an award-winning um, you know, intervention as well. It won many awards. So that really listening to, you know, I mean, authentic listening yeah. and working with not just the, the people whose behavior you want to change, but with the stakeholders around mm -hmm. them as well, as opposed to working for at them. Okay, thank you. Phenomenal um, insight and, and a very nice reminder, you know, of how important it is to actually stop and listen and pay attention and understand and use that knowledge when it comes to designing behavioral change. Okay, we are almost at the top of the hour. So I'm going to invite each of you for um, one takeaway message. This series, as you know, has all been about social marketing turning 50. So if you look forward to the next, you know, uh, five, 10, 15, 50 years, what parting message would you leave with any social marketer as they head in, hopefully, to a brave new future for all of us? So, Dimitri, we might ask you for your final word, your final takeaway. Uh, as they uh, said at the conference in uh, Edinburgh, social marketing conference, segment everything. I would rather say model everything. <laughs> I like that. Okay. Model and segment everything. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Good motto going forward. Yeah. I really like that. And Sinead, over to you. I think what we really need to remove our blinkers and um, don't assume that we know what the problem is. Um, talk to people, engage with people and respect their views because everybody's voice should be heard as part of the modeling process that Dimitri is talking about. Well, with those two takeaways, you fill my heart with joy and with hope for the future. So I would 
thank you very much for sharing all of your wonderful insights and years of experience with us as well. And wish you many more years of fantastic social marketing work. To those of you who have joined us today from near and afar, thank you for your valuable time. We know how precious every hour is in the 24 that we have. For us, it's a bank holiday weekend here in Ireland. So hopefully everybody will get some downtime and relaxing time, but wherever you are, do take a little bit of time to yourself, have a cup of tea, reflect, and hopefully we will see you at the end of May for our fourth and final Social Marketing Turning 50 webinar. Take care, everybody. Signing off for today's session. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.